Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris, Rob, and Willie, part of the Nova Insider Network. It is November 1st. We are back. November's here. The season tips off in less than a week. It's 8.30 at night. The Phillies are playing. Bryce Harper just hit a home run. It was fucking crazy. Um, But we're here doing God's work, as As as, as we've been known to do. Bringing you a podcast to prep for the season and the two games coming next week to start the season. Guys, we have actual legitimate basketball to talk about this this game. So, so first of all, how's everyone doing? How are you, how you guys doing? What's going on? What's going on in your headspace right now? How are we doing? I'm doing great. I'm just excited that basketball is coming back in with some regular occurrences so I can actually start thinking about this again. Obviously, as discussed, we took a long layoff, but it does feel good to be back. feels good to have some new faces in the building and I think most importantly, which we'll get into, some guys healing up. So I am looking to see the debut of Cam Whitmore. I'm looking to see the return of Justin Moore. When exactly that comes, I don't know. We'll see. But yes, I'm ready. It's November. It's basketball season. Seems kind of weird to say that, but whatever. It is. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, I'm I am hyped. Uh, there's in Seinfeld, George Costanza. It's like I'm shifting into soup mode. I am shifting into college basketball mode. I've already, <laughs> I've always been in it, but I'm definitely shifting harder into it. I'm already looking at my calendar and looking up all the local college basketball games I can go to. I already have Harvard, Boston College, or Boston University on my schedule for November 16th. We're we're there. We're going. We're going to see how many games I can get to. I'm fully in and just kind of like anxiously awaiting. I, yesterday, I was like, oh, we're a week away from the game. Today, I was like, we're six days away from the game. And now I'm just like, I'm realizing I'm just going to keep doing that and doing that and keep going back and thinking about, I just need the first game to happen. Uh, there, I got first, forget first game jitters. So I'm, I know yeah. that. You, yeah. you may you may be the only person who has Harvard BU circled on their schedule. I, I might be the only person, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nobody else. I, I don't even think Harvard has it circled on their schedule. They're going <laughs> to wake up and be like, oh, we're, we're playing. Oh, okay, cool. One of the signs for me that basketball season's kind of on the way back is that I go through in detail my calendar and block out like five-hour blocks on my schedule a little bit before and well after a Villanova game. So – I went through that exercise, blocked all the Villanova games out. I go all the way through the national championship because that's what we do. That's our expectations. So, so that's what we do. Yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, that's all done. I have the time blocks on my calendar. I can see when we're playing who and on what on what uh, network we're playing. So that's it. I uh, I agree. I do have a little bit of first game jitters. It's like first game. It, there's a lot of firsts coming on. Uh, on uh november the 7th 7th yeah um so first game for kyle neptune first game for this awesome recruiting class that only maybe two-thirds of will play in but neither here nor there um we got everything blocked out so i i guess what we're going to structure this episode it's kind of be a little bit of a two-parter um we're going to talk about the lasalle and temple games a little bit later 
uh, so we can actually dive into some details. But first, we got to do a little bit of a season preview. We talked about kind of like an intro to Willie in our first episode of the podcast, talked a little bit high level about the season and some of the things and some of the narratives that are already starting to take shape around this season. Then we spent the second episode talking about everything that happened in the offseason. As Rob mentioned, we took the long layoff. Um, and this episode is really designed to get into like, okay, how is this season going to actually play out? Maybe a little bit of early narrative building. Um, we were big hyping, harping on the narrative last season. I want to continue that exercise this year. Um, so that's kind of the thought of this season. We're going to talk about a lot of the individual players. We'll talk about who's going to make up the starting five. Obviously talk a little bit about the injuries, which I think is like the first narrative to the season is like, when is Justin Moore coming back? When's Cam Whitmore coming back? Um, and and all of that. But the first thing I really want to dive into um, is is this secret scrimmage season um, that is that has kind of taken place over the last couple of weeks. And we get tidbits here and there. You might have heard that Villanova lost to Maryland in the scrimmage. And then, you know, Jeff Goodman sending out tweets like everyone who loses says scrimmages don't matter. Well, guess what? Scrimmages don't fucking matter by definition, but also because of the way they're played. <laughs> and I want to talk about that a little bit here. So I'm going to open the floor. So let's start there. Let's talk a little bit about the scrimmages. Well, the first thing is people forget we beat VCU in the first scrimmage. So, like, that's the only one I acknowledge, and that's the one that happened. <laughs> Maryland did not happen. Maryland, it was whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the scrimmages, I, the way I always look at them, it's it's a nice to have. It's nice to have that little to whet your appetite going into the year. Um, VCU sounded like we did great. Maryland sounded like, and judging from what I've been able to gather, we just couldn't score baskets, um, which is honestly probably the least of my worries um, looks like they played well defensively for whatever that means. Obviously, like you mentioned, Chris, there's, you know, maybe they, I don't know how they structured it. It could have been 10, five minute quarters. And then yeah. you just broke it up and had it like that. I know previously in previous years, uh, specifically in the Duke scrimmage last year, when Duke, like, I think Duke beat us by like 10 in one of the quarters, we played zone for the last like half of that. Right. That's not, we don't play zone. Right. And that's so that's just like you're trying different things, you're working on different things, you're trying different rotations, you're holding people out. If we want to take, if we're look, if you're trying to take, if it matters, then if we want to look at things, then we didn't play Longino in that scrimmage because he's re he was resting, and then neither more nor Whitmore. So you're getting what 70% of a top 20 team, yeah. And Maryland's a decent enough team that, of course, we like maybe we lose, but honestly, it doesn't matter. But it was good. Um, I actually stayed in the hotel that the Maryland team was staying in, not for the purpose of seeing the scrimmage, but I was at a wedding, uh, ran into Kevin Willard, gave him good, not good luck, but I, you know, gave him a little hello. Um, he are, are you the, the reason we lost the scrimmage? Is that, is that yes, that's, that's what he just said. Yeah. That's what I heard. That's, so that's, Willie, yeah, we lost right. the scrimmage based on you, which, by the way, again, doesn't fucking matter. I should but, have it's, but it's Willie's fault. Send so, so no, me now. So, no, no. Everyone yeah. knows it's me. Yeah. No. I should have heckled him. Um, his hair was bald um which he always is but what you don't know is if you see him during the summer which i've seen him once in the summer before he grows out his hair so Whoa. it's very interesting oh that's um, weird yeah that's, that's weird. weird so i saw him like, like that. three or four summers ago uh maybe it was like before yeah covid and i was like i think that's kevin willard but he has hair and it was very weird but yeah um scrimmages don't matter yeah and, no i i think, you know, I think 
I think Willie's point is, is well taken. It's like in, in all seriousness, like these are set up to intentionally try different things to put you in different scenarios. So it gives you an opportunity just to run different sets and gives you a baseline to grow up. So the combination of that and the fact that this is game negative one, negative two on our schedule. And what we've known time and time again is like Villanova takes a season to gel. And obviously like new coach, we don't know if it's going to be quite the same, but I would imagine that this team, especially with a lot of new faces coming together, it's going to take some time for this team to come together. So that combined with the fact that just how this is structured, don't read into it at all, unless we win, of course, and then just say, I don't know, just go gloat. But we didn't, so it's fine. Moving on with our lives. I couldn't agree more. Well said. I think the, the, the fact that a coach would do something in that that he wouldn't do in a game is like right there. Like, yeah, of course, the guys are going to be competitive because that's how Villanova players and college basketball players in general, but especially Villanova players, are trained is to go balls out every single play. But that doesn't mean that it's like you're doing the same things. Like, who knows? Like, I remember when I was like, like scrimmages could be like you have to pass the ball five times before you take a shot. Like, you don't know what kind of rules that a coach has instituted on a team to like force them to play a certain way because they're trying to force something to happen or test out the team to see if something will work for them. So again, as I said, scrimmages don't matter. I can't put that all on a tweet, but I can say scrimmages don't matter, which I've said on Twitter and I'm saying now. Um, okay. So, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, like, let's just talk about, let's just talk about this season a little bit. Like what, where the expectations are, like what, what, I guess we start with the injuries, like, and just kind of get a sense of where things are progressing and go from there. So we have everyone, I expect everyone to be available first game. I know Longino was resting with some type of knee, but beyond that, I think that it's really everyone's available except the aforementioned Cam Whitmore and Justin Moore. Caleb Daniels is back. Everyone else is back, right? Like, so, so the aforementioned Whitmore and Justin yeah, Moore I, are I love, big I love pieces. I love how you're glossing over. No, like, if, if, I'm not if glossing Moore, over. If I'm going to dive in. Player, he'd be the best, best player on the team, and Whitmore <laughs> is probably the best player on the team. Like, uh, everybody else is healthy, though. It's so ridiculous. I'm not glossing over it. I'm, I'm merely ruling out whoever is not injured. I'm, all I'm doing is ruling out who's not injured, okay? So I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to narrow this down. Because at any point in the given offseason, there could be like seven fucking players on Villanova who are injured. So that's the Villanova to, way. Yeah, we need to like narrow this down and funnel this down to the people who are injured, actually. Yeah. So let's talk about Cam Whitmore first. So obviously, he's already on big, uh, you know, lottery boards as, as a potential top 10 pick, um, but he hurt his wrist. Uh, in in the preseason here and he said was said to be reevaluated come november it's november 1st i haven't heard official news on on it but i'm getting the sense that this is not going to be a long drawn out thing merely because i haven't heard anything to the contrary since the initial uh since the initial timeline yeah i'd agree with that everything that if it feels like i i mean knowing villanova will probably be cautious I I don't know how I would say the worst case scenario is he played he plays his first games versus Boston College I think it's on the sixth of December I feel like that's the worst case scenario I feel like honestly we might see him back by the PK eighty five if not slightly before I assume if he was being evaluated in early November we're looking at he's maybe it happened today you know they're figuring out what to do I would 
kind of assume he's probably doing some kind of basketball related activity. It might not be full on practicing, but it might be, you know, shooting with the hand, whatever the workouts might be. I feel like Cam is the one that I'm not worried about. He's coming back. It'll be early enough in the season that he'll be able to gel. It wouldn't, shouldn't really rock the boat. I feel like he'll be able to fit in. And I feel like his game also helps is in a way where that he'll be able to fit in where we can, he's, he could be ball dominant, but he's not really that ball dominant. He's not a point guard. He's just super athletic. He can grab a rebound and go. We can just feed him off cutting and everything like that, where I think he's just going to be able to like come in and impact at a high level. So Cam, I'm not worried about. I'm glad to hear um, that. I, well, I'm glad to think that he's like coming an inch and closer. There's no reason to rush him back. Let's just say that the prognosis comes out this week and it's like, he's great. Like, like, but could use a little bit more rest or whatever. Like, look, the first two games, first three games, sorry, are I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're easy wins because they're rivals for the first two. Well, the third one should be an easy win, but the rivals for the first two games. But assuming that he's not really fully ready, I wouldn't rush him back for LaSalle or Temple. Then Delaware State is on the 14th of Monday. So, like, the the first game that you would theoretically need him is the 18th when we play Michigan State in East Lansing. Yep. I, that would be the earl, the absolute earliest I could see Villanova bringing him back, given that the timeline was early November. But I'm I, I'm with you, Willie. I, I don't see – I'm not seeing that happening. I, I'm looking at end November, Thanksgiving-ish time frame as like, you know, the the kind of real timeline here. Yeah, I I just don't think there's anything we've seen evidence-wise of Villanova trying to rush a player back, and certainly not a player a player of this caliber with this set of expectations. Like, I don't know Cam at all, but I would imagine Cam's in his head thinking like, "Look, I'm I'm on the draft board, pretty high up there. I want to make sure I'm healthy." And Villanova also wants to make sure he's healthy for the draft and gets drafted top five, top ten next year as well. Because as we've discussed many times, makes Villanova look good. And for once, maybe we could actually show it. We know how to what to do with a uh, a five star recruit and get them out the door pretty quickly. So yeah, I think uh, I think they'll they'll keep him on the bench till he's he's fully ready to go, and then they'll unleash him. So even if that means we take a loss or two in in our first couple of games, which I think we'll get to, I think there's a very real chance of. I don't think you'll see Cam for for a tad bit. Yep, and then the bigger one is Justin Moore. So. We've heard everything on this. First of all, it was like, is he ever going to play in a Villanova uniform again? Totally. Right? Like, that was on the table, right? Um, Achilles injuries can take up to 18 months. Um, What we learned shortly into the summer was that everything went well from a surgery standpoint and whatever. And we can probably expect him to get back by sometime in February in you know, in advance of a March run. And we heard that he wants to come back, right? Like, which is a key, which is a key decision because like, I, I would say, you know, I wouldn't blame him if he was like, no, I'm just going to go in straight into the, um, the, you know, camps and all that other stuff. Yeah. And draft process. To, to or get into the process. draft process and whatever. And by all means to me, I'm like, he's done enough for Villanova already. He doesn't know us anything like, like just, like, well, we would help him out to get there. Um, but we learned that he wants to come back. So we're like, okay, February. All right. Well, is that enough time to get him gelled back in with the team? Uh, and if it is, 
then all of a sudden it's kind of weird because we could be kind of like a super underrated type, like six seed type team that yeah. could that could fuck up everyone's bracket because all of a sudden in the last month of the season we brought in like our best player, right? Then it was Justin Moore sits down with John Fanta and and is like, hey, I'm targeting to be back by the beginning of Big East play. And it's like, well, the holy fucking shit now. Like, like Villanova could be literally legit here because they have a top 10 pick and Justin Moore. And all of a sudden Villanova's like, hold the hold the horses, like Creighton. Like maybe you aren't the preeminent favorite to win the Big East. And then Villanova slowly walked that one back a little bit. And no one actually knows the actual timeline at this point because it's been so muddled in a little bit of secrecy. Um, and I don't want to make it seem like that's like by by design, but it's secrecy because it's an Achilles and we don't exactly know when it's going to fully heal and he's going to be fully ready for uh, gameplay. But you have all of that noise out there. And what I really think it's going to end up being based on reading everything in between, is it's probably sometime early-ish in Big Biggie's play. I'm thinking like mid-January, we play Georgetown on MLK Day. That's like, that to me is kind of like the timeline that I'm working with in my head. And I'm curious if you guys are in the same position. Yeah, I think for me, it's just like, I don't know. I'm not reading anything except what what Justin's putting out on social media. And it's like, you look at his his Instagram post, you see what Shaq puts out there. He's clearly working out with the team, working without a brace, like the movements there. I'm obviously not a trainer. I don't know what percent of recovery that means. But when I see somebody who's jumping around, has nothing on their legs, I feel pretty good about that. And that says to me, you're probably pretty far along, which look, if he was targeting beginning of Big East play, middle of Big East play, whatever it is, you'd hope probably hope to see him doing that. But that to me is just a lot of positive signs. And I think most importantly, it speaks to his attitude. Like he's clearly just ready. He's like absolutely attacked the rehab side of things. He clearly wants to get out there as soon as possible. I think you'll see the same approach. Like we talked about with Cam, like we're not going to rush it. But I think Justin's pushing it versus Cam. Cam may be like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll ease it back. Justin's probably like, get me on the fucking court. Like, let's go. If I'm a betting man, I'm betting we're going to see him right at the start of Big East play. Maybe not game one, but like, I think it's going to be game two. I think you're going to get a good Does he play in 2022, Rob? Tie yourself down is to it, this. Is our, is our second game in 2022? Yeah. Then yes. Yeah. Plays in 2022. Yes. I think I've kind of vacillated back and forth. Uh, when the injury happened, I was like, he's never playing again. I thought he was just never going to play another game in Villanova uniform. And then when uh, I think Kyle in like the early summer said, uh, oh, he'll be back by like Big East play we're targeting. I was like, eh, maybe. I don't know. That seemed like whatever speak. When Justin said December, I was like, oh, I'm all in. It's December. <laughs> I, I'm all in. I don't know. And I think if we spoke to Justin, he's saying he's playing tomorrow. So yeah. I feel like he's there. He's ready mentally, uh, or at least as ready as you can be. I'm sure there's going to be things when the ball goes up in the air that he's going to feel a little bit weird. I'm sure there's still that level of like, is this going to happen to me again? I'm sure that's like a thing in the back of your head. But I'm very, I will, I'm going to say he's going to play 2023, but like early 2023. Let me hedge. Let me be in the middle here. I'm saying do we play January 1st or January 2nd? Whatever that New Year's, New Year's Eve game is, that's where I'm saying he's playing. That's uh, where... I'm going to I'm gonna flip my work calendar, and I'll tell you. <laughs> the, uh, um, we play on the 
31st. 31st. Uh, we played Marquette on the 31st. And then the at second it is at, uh, I think it is at home. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Justin Moore, 12 minutes off the bench, December 31st. Own it right there. We play at oh. Georgetown on the 4th. That's the next game after oh. that. And then he's going back home to Georgetown and he's playing 23 minutes and we're just rolling. And Justin Moore, when healthy, is a top 30 player in college basketball, arguably. Um, I, I'd probably have him around 24, 25. Um, so that's a huge boon for the team. Oh, right. Well, I, I, the Justin Moore coming back thing is literally like, to me, the, the, the switch to flip for this team, right? Like Justin Moore comes back and I immediately start to think this is a deep, deep run tournament team. Justin Moore is not back. And I'm just like, we just got to do enough to stay in the tournament conversation. <laughs> like not to say, not to shit on the other guys, but they, like there's something to be said for a point guard in our system. Right. Totally. Like, and, and I'm sorry. I was about to say the Jay Wright system, but I changed it to the our system. But it's still kind of a Jay Wright system this year, for me. Yeah, probably. Is. So, so the point guard is everything in this scenario, and so I'm like, if he comes back and is playing conference ball, like for the overwhelming majority of it, then all of a sudden the conference conversation, as I said earlier, changes, and and our seating in the NCAA tournament can change because. The floor gets raised so significantly by Justin's presence. Like, there's going to be games that like are theoretically losable games that we won't lose simply because he's our point guard, right? So, yeah, I do, so yeah, I I do think I do think the timing of the return matters um, because it's if he comes in mid Biggie's play, there's just fewer games to get him worked back in, getting him up to speed, getting him worked into the rotation. If he comes in at the start of Biggie's play, you're talking a significant amount of time, and you can ideally drive some really positive results from that. So I'm hoping I'm hoping he pushes earlier on that one. Yeah, I mean, me too. Seems like Willie's having a little bit of technical difficulty, so we're going to continue. I wouldn't call it technical difficulties. It's just like a weird banging in my apartment, but we're going to ignore it. And if someone comes <laughs> on the screen and murders me, it's recording. Yeah, I'm I'm actually very concerned right yeah. now. <laughs> Do you? Is there another person who's supposed to be in your apartment? No, no, there's not. Let me go take a. You guys, why don't you go take a look? Let me go take a look. All right. So while Willie is dying, um, we're going (laughs) to go ahead and continue this conversation. Um, But all right, so we got the injuries kind of out of the way. Let's talk about some of the other players here, Um, and I want to start with. I want to start with kind of like who we think might formulate the starting rotation here. Um, And I think there's as normal in Villanova basketball, there's, there's always two or three guys who are like guaranteed starters. Like you just know that they're going to start when you enter a season. So the three guys who are kind of guaranteed starting roles are Caleb Daniels, Brandon Slater, and Eric Dixon. I don't think I'm telling the fan base anything they don't already know. Those three guys have been with the program for some time. Um, they were, Caleb aside, were, were starters last season. And so these guys are going to start. And so let's start with the kind of like the upperclassmen, if you will. Now let's start with Brandon Slater. Uh, because this is a guy who has 
his like path at Villanova started very slow and kind of crept along, crept along, crept along. At the end of the COVID season, the 19, sorry, the 2021 season, it was like there was a big push. Start Slater, start Slater. He's got to start, right? Like, and he did. And once he got the starting role, he actually shined a bit in that role, showed off some athletic prowess, played good defense. And like, we were happy because, you know, Cole Swider couldn't defend a, a, a traffic cone. And so like, it was nice to see him progress into that role. And then the talk of last offseason was, oh my God, Brandon Slater is like just the guy. Palpable buzz was Rothstein was saying on the main line about Brandon Slater, whatever. Comes out the first games, drilling threes, shooting the ball well, whatever. Then he gets a little bit, he gets tweaked. He, he's, he doesn't ever go down, I don't think, with for any significant time with injury, but has a tweak and and is just kind of really ice cold for a good chunk of last season. Um, obviously still brought the defense, and then at the end of the season had some of the most highlight reels, real plays of the season. The dunk against Providence at the Pavilion comes to mind. The block against UConn in the Big East tournament comes to mind. He was the guy who got fouled in the end of the St. John's game to, to and hit those two free throws to send us to the semifinals um so like had a good end of the season for him um the tournament was really about colin and um was really about colin and jermaine i don't have there's not a ton of like highlight real yeah. plays from brandon at that time but his career is all over the place and i guess we're going to say something similar that you've heard us say about jermaine samuels in the past is that i feel like a big not talked about thing this season is if is Brandon Slater going to be an X factor or is he going to be like, like the God? (laughs) I was, I was going to say the same thing. I was like, I was trying to think in my head. I was like, what do we need Brandon Slater to be? And what I kept coming back to is basically like, he's kind of, he's kind of a lot of upside in my mind where it's like, look, I've got, I've got Dixon locking down the post and I, and we'll get into Dixon who I'm, I'm just so, so excited about this year. You've got obviously the hype around Whitmore. You you feel like you know what you're going to get there. You've got Caleb there. We talked about Justin already. We feel like we're going to get something positive from that. And we'll talk about some of the other guys. But I feel like there's a lot that I I'm getting. And then Slater's just kind of like, okay, well, if I get like I don't know, late February Slater, like plus some, like that's great. And if I don't, okay, that that kind of caps the ceiling. But maybe it doesn't cap it too much. I don't know. Yeah, I well, one thing I want to call back at is we people forget Brandon Slater scored 16 points in the final four game versus Kansas and was like a huge part of like in that set early second half of us staying within striking distance and was arguably our best player for that early second half uh, portion of it. He was kept hitting threes. He was really good there. What I was thinking about was very similar to you, Rob. Um, the way I would describe it is like there's X, the X factors. I feel like for us, there's two ways to look at X-Factors. There's X-Factors that help our ceiling and X-Factors that help our floor. I think we have some X-Factors in the young guys who might help us as help our floor. If Brandon Slater, though, is the Brandon Slater we saw early last year before the injury, and from all I can tell, the reports say that he's doing that, he's taking an offensive leap forward, he's becoming more um, of a leader, that's that X-Factor for our ceiling to where, like, 
I mean, if Brandon Slater is a 12, 13 point per game person playing straight, like playing lockup defense and hitting threes at 37%, I, I become a lot more bullish on this team once Justin and Cam are back in the fold. I become a lot more bullish. Well, and also like one of the angles of this team this year is the athleticism of this team, which we haven't had in a couple of years, right? Like, so like the athleticism angle of this team, obviously when Whitmore comes back, it just skyrockets, but like Slater's a guy. So Slater can be like that, right? Like, so, so like you bring Slater into the equation and he brings that athleticism, that aggressiveness, et cetera, both on the defensive and offensive end, which he can show, he has showed already flashes of impacting with his athleticism on both sides of the ball, like he becomes, he becomes like an old world player. Like he's like a, like a big East, not, not make, I don't know about big East player of the year. Cause it didn't handle the rock, but like, like a big East, um, you know, uh, first team, second yeah, team, first, guy. second team. Oh yeah. Big East yeah. completely. Right. And if he's that guy, like, well, and he's shooting threes, like, well, holy shit. Like we become a really hard team to guard. Yeah. So, so like I, Slater's such a weird case because I feel like I had the same conversation with him that about him that we had last year talking about Tremaine Samuels. But they're kind of similar in yes. like a weird way. They're kind of similar. I would say Jermaine moved a little bit quicker, but that was also just due to necessity. Yes. Where after the 2018 season happened, it was okay. Dante's gone. Omari's gone. Jalen's gone. Mikhail's gone. And it's like someone has to play these minutes on the wing and Jermaine stepped up and obviously Sadiq Bey came in and he stepped up and then all that happened. But Jermaine had that very slow freshman year and then picked things up a little bit more sophomore year, junior year, and then senior year and then senior plus year. And I think we're seeing Slater do that in his own way where he was always a little bit behind Jermaine in terms of just like on the depth chart, he was behind Jermaine. So he wasn't able to take, take the leaps that needed. He was behind Cole for a little bit then that kind of switch. And then we had the classic like Cole Brandon offense defense switch where, you know, it was an offensive possession and close game Cole's in defensive Brandon was in. And then last year we saw what Brandon can start to be. Um, and if he's able to put it together for a full season, I, once again, like I said, a lot more bullish on this team ceiling. Yeah. All right. So let's switch gears to Caleb Daniels. Um, another athletic, another athletic specimen, but a guy who's not as, not as known for getting up like that. Um, as ever, as as his counterpart Slater, but a guy who had a giant leap forward last year. Um, so again, I kind of want to recap this a little bit, but like the the 2021 season, um, Caleb started hot and then really cooled down after he got COVID. We learned that summer that the COVID that he got gave him um, myocarditis and he was struggling to recover from that. Last season was kind of like early on feeling out the process a little bit, then became what Villanova has become a little bit famous for, at least in Villanova fans of like being like the six starter, right? Like, and, and by far and away a six starter um, in that he was a very, very, very impactful um, got first guy off the bench for this team, especially because we didn't go that much more than six guys, in last year's rotation but it was but every final four team that this team has had has had a bona fide six starter now Caleb enters the starting lineup in his senior in his final year of college basketball and and he shoots the ball well um 
He made good decisions last year. He was not barreling defenders over when he was trying to make offensive drives, which was by far from my standpoint, like the biggest improvement that he made. Uh, so he was able to stay on the floor and get rhythm of the game. Um, he is strong. He's a good defender. He moves well. Um, so he, another really good player. Um, and it's going to be interesting because he's going to be our three. He is our three point guy. Like every year's team has a three point guy. Uh, obviously, Colin was both the point guard and the three point guy last year. This year's team, uh, Caleb Daniels is like our three point specialist. Um, he's, he's, he is who you run plays for to shoot the three ball. So I, I, I'm interested to see how this season goes for him. Um, but I, I have nothing but high hopes. I, I, to me, I think he's like, I think he's a high floor, high ceiling guy. Completely. I think the worst case scenario, I said in air quotes, is he does what he did last year, which was super valuable. But I think even just by the nature of what we're going to need him to do, he's going to be better than that from, from last year. He's going to be more ball dominant. Um, when he was at Tulane, I think he averaged his sophomore year like nearly uh, like above three assists. I think we're going to see that go up. At Villanova, he's only averaged like one or two because – or I think he's only averaged one for his whole Villanova career because like he hasn't been the ball handler. It's been Justin. It's been Colin. Both of them are gone for – Colin's gone for good, and Justin's gone until, let's say, January. So Caleb's going to have the ball in his hands, and I think we're going to see him get back to the same way that he played at Tulane. And something I think about a lot, and I say this all the time with basketball, it's like the way you play at the lower levels at your best is how you'll play at the higher levels once you catch up and you get to get uh, once you catch up. And I think Caleb's caught up to playing at the Big East level. I think he knows what it's going to take. And not for nothing, we're not going to play a Big East team till December. I think we're going to see Caleb take that strong leap and be that guard and have that phil booth-esque uh phil booth's what 2018 2019 season i think we're going to see caleb really take that lead there and the good thing is, is he's not gonna he's gonna have more help than phil had when um when in that 2018 2019 season so i'm really excited for that i think caleb is a absolute knockdown three-point shooter especially when it comes off of he comes off a ball screen he takes one step in he's rising up it's very like methodical but it's automatic off that ball screen i'm excited to see what he adds to his game there and i think the larger thing is who's going to be the guy who's backing up in the post and it's going to be our new post person while Justin's out. I think, and I would assume Caleb's been working on it. And there's a couple other people on the roster. I feel like have the body type that could get there. Um, but I think Caleb's going to be the first one we see that role um, setting up a post play for, and Caleb's going to be stronger than any guard that he covered that's covering him. So I'm super excited. And I think we're going to see a really big year for Caleb Daniels, who is, I'll say it here, a sneaky pick for Biggie's player of the year, especially if we like everything hits for us, he'd be a very sneaky pick for it. That's very sneaky. I'm not going to support that. I don't think it's going to happen, but but that's all right. It's a sneaky pick. I, one thing I thought was really interesting is, and I think a lot of people would default to this, is that, hey, Caleb's got to be, because Justin's out, Caleb's got to be the ball handler from day one because he has the experience, because he played that role a little bit in years past. It's an interesting assumption to make, though, um, and we'll talk a little bit about Mark Armstrong because what it then implies is that if Caleb's on the court, then Mark doesn't really have quite as clear of a role because he's a, a smaller guy. He's 6'2", he's 180, he's really much more of a natural one from, from what I understand. So I actually, I don't think necessarily that Caleb, and we'll get into the starting lineup, I don't think Caleb's necessarily going to be the, the starter and the point guard on, on day one. I think you could very much see that ball in Mark Armstrong's hands. 
just because it may make a little bit more sense and we can get Caleb off the ball. That said, from a confidence from a development standpoint, I think you've got to feel pretty good about where Caleb ended at the end of last year and has had just, I don't know, it's interesting now talking about this team. We've had a few guys with kind of interesting evolutions and interesting journeys, but at least Caleb, we know, is kind of kind of shook out on, on the right side of that. And you know that he's got to feel pretty good coming in. He made the decision, obviously, to come back this year, and there's got to be a lot of confidence there. And you know he's, he's obviously like strong as an ox, too, which is going to be pretty awesome. It is weird to think about him being the three-point specialist um, and him being the guy. Because, Chris, you said that, and I was like, oh, gosh. It's like, does he have the stats to back it up? He, does, he shot 38% last year. He shot 38% the year before. So, yeah, he's good. He's not he's not Sadiq Bey. I'm going to shoot 45% instead of coming in. Um, but, hey, I mean, that's good. And that may be another reason, actually, why they run him off. if They're trying to free him up to get him an open shot. So, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, we love Caleb on this podcast. I'm obviously quite supportive of Caleb, um, but I think we'll probably see him off ball a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. I think there's a lot of lineup versatility that we'll have between Mark and Caleb and then, it, and then Briz and then whenever they throw Arch in there. I just, I, I think we're going to see him take more of a on ball load. So I think that's just going to, that's our first difference. Oh, that's our first little like, ooh, we're on different sides of the coin there. Um, I just, I definitely think he's going to be a little bit more on ball. Uh, but I do think, we have a lot of lineup versatility. And to that point, I feel, I do feel, let's, let me put the record store. Caleb was better off ball. So that's, there's a thousand percent. I feel like we're going to try to get him off ball. Um, I just, I think we'll, it'll be, especially in the early season, we're going to see a lot of Caleb on ball, but. Yeah. I, I, I think you're going to see it. I think it's going to be situational. Um, so I'm kind of playing the middle ground a little bit here, but like, I think it's going to be a little bit situational. I think when I do agree with Willie, just based on body type, like I, I could see him being the guy to invert the offense um, and, and post up as a guard um, and, and have the trust put in his hands to kick the ball out or make a right, make the right decision in that, in that environment, um, whether he's going to muscle his way to the hoop or he's going to, or he's going to shoot a little fade away uh, or what have you. Uh, but Either way, I just, here I, just, there. I just really don't see it. He's 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 not like a facilitator. Like as much as I love Caleb, like that's not his. That's never been his. But that it hasn't role been his role in, in yet. Yeah, yeah. You 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 just don't do you just don't do that when you've got a guy who if Mark Armstrong is like you know what we think he is like if he's actually good enough to come in and like take the keys like you, you give him the keys it's like arch right you don't. But I'm not saying that. Button. You just I'm like not, yeah, yeah yeah okay. I'm not saying that he's going to be handling the ball all the time. I just think that situationally, when we need a guard to post up, um, I think that he's going to be that guy because he's the only guy strong enough to do it. I don't know if the other guards have the strength to back down a, a bigger I, player. I think we're—I I don't know. I—I I think we're giving a lot of credit to Caleb right now. We've given him facilitating credit. We've given him backing down people in the post credit. I haven't really seen Caleb do either of those things, so I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. I but anyway, enough about surprised. Caleb. I, I hope I am. Well, let's put it this way. I hope Rob's surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I definitely hope I'm surprised. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So let's move on a little bit to a guy who, Rob, you already alluded to. He's excited. And I'm going to hand the keys to this conversation to you. Eric Dixon. Go ahead. Slim Dix. Slim Dix. Slim Dix. All right. Well, we got to start off. We got to start off with um, <laughs> with one of my with uh, his, his body type. Okay. So Eric has uh, been a crowd favorite here for a couple years now. The leap he took last year, just amazing. Like three-point shooting was stepping into that. He averaged right about a shot, one three-point shot a game. I'd actually love to see him take a couple more. 
because he knocked him down like a 45% clip last year. And I'm sure he drove our opponents absolutely mad with that and showed some, I would say, improved touch around the rim. He does have his one side. He just loves going to the one side. I'm hoping that he added a little bit of versatility around the hoop this year. But regardless, body-wise, Dixon had to slim down if he wanted to make a shot at the NBA. We all knew that. He absolutely has slimmed down based on everything we've seen in pictures and videos in this offseason. So what does that mean for Dixon? Well, that means he's going to be ideally moving a little bit quicker. Maybe that means he's going to be a little bit more comfortable driving with the ball, taking some people off the dribble from that three-point line. And I think it really just allows him to stay on the court a little bit more because he'll be one, be in better condition, and two, ideally be able to stay in front of some people, which gives him a better defensive presence and then ideally keeps him out of foul trouble. So, look, everything I've seen from Dixon this offseason says, look, I want to put in the work. I want to get better. I know I'm going to be a key component to this team. And if he's able to take the next step, and from him, I always look for, like, guys, can they add, like, one thing to their repertoire in the offseason? If he's basically able to, you know, give us two three-point shots a game and just be a little bit more of a consistent threat from the outside, as we've seen, that gives us, allows us to play five out if we so want to, and that makes us really dangerous. So that's what I'm looking for from Dixon. I think it could be another huge step up year. I do think Eric Dixon has 100% first-team all-biggies potential without a doubt if he steps up the way he did last year. That's my Slim Dicks rant. I'm all about it. Let's go, baby. 22-23, this is your year. If you're listening to the podcast, all three of us have named three players to the All-Biggies team, and not neither of them are Justin Moore or Cam Whitmore. <laughs> That's actually a really good point. Yeah, but that is hilarious. Um, but neither here nor there. Um, look, the excitement level around Dixon, I think, is is terrific um, here. It's interesting how, on the broader scale of the Big East, he is not drumming, drumming up that level of excitement at all when he was, at times, one of the best big men in the, in the conference last year. Um, the, Easily. The, the, the conversation in the Big East in terms of big men obviously revolves around Adama Sinogo, who was named the Big East Player of the Year preseason. Um, but you also have this big overrated, debate. Overrated. <laughs> overrated. Oh, my God. You Terrible. also have this enormous debate where, well, what about Ryan Kalkbrenner, who has a legitimate three-point shot, is a hell of a basketball player, and is on the best in the preseason, preeminent favorite to win the Big East in Creighton. And then you also have a conversation of, like, the guy who should be related to Kalkbrenner in Jack Nunji on Xavier – um, who has a very similar game as well, an extremely versatile, um, et cetera, game for a big man. Kind of like that unicorn-style big man, whereas Adama Sanogo is kind of like the old-style big man. Whereas Eric Dixon is a little bit undersized, has a better three-point shot than all of them. Um, but the slimming down of him is interesting for a variety of reasons. One, we play a switching defense, and I'm assuming that's going to stay the same in, under Kyle Neptune, um, but we play a switching defense. If you recall last year, while we love to tout our ability, all our guys' ability to guard the positions one through five, there were two positions where we got hurt. Colin Gillespie getting, you know, having to guard the five, and Eric Dixon having to guard the one. 
right? Like anytime Eric Dixon got put on a really good, quick, athletic ball handler, he was like the teams tried to target that mismatch, right? And which you would normally do, but our fives over the years have been athletic enough, quick enough and whatever to at least be serviceable when they get switched in that, into that position. The slimming down of Dixon, I think is in the hopes at least partially of him being able to handle that a like exterior external goal. I don't know if we'll see it this year, but I would love to see it in the future is Dixon slides into the four and Njoku can be the five. I just Woo! don't know where Nana is in that, um, in that, in his development um, journey, so to speak, but I'd love for that to happen. But I agree with you that we did see in the DePaul game, for example, um, Dixon, uh, fake a three, you know, you know, pump fake, and then, and then try and drive a little bit and can get to the hoop. So I, I do think that that skill set is there for him. I, I am more interested in the slimming down and how that impacts him defensively than it does offensively. The concern of the slimming down is, okay, is he going to be more easily moved by the Sonogos of the world? when he's trying to guard down the post. But I don't think he's gotten weaker. He's just gotten a little slimmer. Yeah, I I don't really worry about that because Coach Shaq is the best strength coach in the country. And I'm sure Dixon is absolutely yoked. Um, I think with Dixon, I agree. I mean, I love the slimming down. Um, If he's going to make it to the NBA at any point in his career, he needs to do that. I think if we're looking at like a similar body type, a similar kind kind of ish player, it's that could he be what EJ Liddell was for Ohio state last year? That's where I feel like if I'm Dixon, that's like my goal. If I'm trying to get to the next level. Um, But regardless of the next level conversation, I don't know if you were watching any of the, um, whether it was the blue goal or the blue white game or the um, little scrimmage in hoops mania, something stuck out to me during that it's, and maybe it was just because it's a practice scrimmages don't matter. Preseason stuff doesn't matter. We ran through Eric Dixon. And I have a feeling as as much as there as much athleticism as we have and everything, when it goes, when we get into a half court situation, this will run through Eric Dixon. And he might not be the best player on the team, but this is his team. That's the way I look at it. Despite being not being a captain, like as it relates to on the floor, especially in the half court offense, this is Eric Dixon's team. Um I think we're going to see an increase in three-point shots. Um, something I was slightly disappointed about during the Kansas game was that we didn't start shooting threes with him. Like, and maybe it's because we got blitzed in the very beginning and we kind of got – we were all out of sorts. But I really wanted us to have Eric further away from the basket to take McCormick away and then open up the lane. And we didn't really do that. I think Eric shot maybe one three um, later in the second half. I kind of want to see that from him. Um, I think we're going to see a little bit more of – I'm not going to call it on ball, but like a little bit more of the creation aspect of where he might attack a closeout. He might attack a mismatch a little bit more similar to what we saw in the DePaul game. Um, I have pretty high expectations for Eric. Um, I'm not going to call him first team Big East. I'm not going to call him second team Big East because I think we have, a, we have really good big men in the Big East, frankly. Um, and it's going to be hard. It's yeah, just going to be, be hard. It's going to be hard. So I, I, I mean, I love Kalkbrenner. Sonoga's good for college basketball. He's going to be very good. He's preseason player of the year, but like, whatever. He's he's unimportant to me. <laughs> There's more interesting players on UConn than him to me. Um, but I think Dixon's going to be, 
I, I keep like I'm bouncing around calling him our most important player, and I don't know if I believe that, but he's just going, he's a pivotal piece, and obviously we know that he's Eric Dixon, but I think there's just a lot to his game that's going to be unlocked um, in that half court. I'm very interested to see how it looks like, and I'm curious to see what other post moves he's added. Um, I mean, Eric's got a lot of skill, so I'm excited to see him un- un- unleash it. So we spent a lot of time on our three guys who are kind of like the known starters, which in and of itself, by the way, is a little bit unique to the last couple of years, because in the last couple of years, the known starters were kind of like, I don't want to say boring, but we kind of like knew the narratives on them. Like, you know, we've known the narrative on Colin Gillespie for like three years, <laughs> right? Like, so like now to be able to talk about these three guys, um, it's, it's, it's fun. It's different. It's and and these guys all have both. It is different, totally. It, yeah, both have. They all sorry. All three of them have made big leaps in their careers, and we still all believe that they have room to go there. And I think Dixon still got three years of eligibility left somehow. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. We could be talking about Eric Dixon. I long for the days when Eric Dixon becomes a boring given. Um, but neither here nor there. Let's let's transition a little bit to who is going to start in the absence of Justin Moore and Cam Whitmore. Because I know when they come back, that's kind of the starting lineup. Like it's 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 I don't want to say it's pre-decided, but it's it's pre-decided. Like we could we could say with some confidence that those are the guys who are going to start when they're fully back back, right? Like not only back, but like in the flow of the game. So who starts in their presence? Let's start with the Cam Whitmore because I think that's a little bit easier to figure out. And I think that person is going to be Jordan Longino. From a size standpoint, stature standpoint, they're similar enough. And, and, and just and just from just from our for our listeners' perspective, you're assuming then Dixon's at the five, Slater's at the four, Caleb is at the one or the two, right? Yeah, so I'm having Caleb the as three, the one two. Who, Lead guard. Yeah, you know, no, okay, so we're debating the last two. Yeah. So yeah. we're debating the last two. And so I'm putting Longino in at the three. Um because that's how I think it'll that's how I think it'll play out. Um, you know, guys uh, got good length, um, got good size, rangy's three point shoot can can shoot the three pointer, um, you know, has his versatility to his game. He's good, he's a prototypical Villanova wing in a lot of respects. Here's he's the guy who I expect to take on the starting lineup role um until Whitmore's back. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um I think Longino is also the guy that I alluded to the kind of the next post person. I think he could be, depending on what offensively that looks like for him, be the next guy to kind of like back down in the post. We saw him do it a little bit freshman year in the Big East tournament and the semifinal game versus UConn. He had a turnaround at the end of the buzzer. He likes to, he's not overly athletic. He's definitely an athlete, but he's not overly athletic. He doesn't lead with athleticism. That's not how he plays. He's extremely smart. So I feel like he's going to be able to work that post game in. Um, I think he's a really strong defender. Um, Longino was that one. I feel like you see this every single time in the beginning of the college of, of a freshman's college season. They end, when they're in the first game, it's what are are they? Is their head on a swivel? Or are they running around like a chicken with their head <laughs> cut off? Um, like, frankly, I'm not going to throw him under the bus, but I'm going to say Jermaine was his freshman year where he was like yeah. he couldn't run in a straight line because everything was moving too fast for him. Yeah, Longino didn't have that issue from the first game. Yeah, there was moments where the game was moving too fast, but that's just natural. 
that you're going to have moments where you're not fully understanding and operating at the highest level. But Longino picked things up pretty quickly. And I felt like pretty immediately, I was like, oh, he's going to be a factor for us. Um, he's a strong three-point shooter. Um, I think he can move the ball. I think he's the pro prototypical at this stage glue guy. And I'm excited to see him take an offensive leap, be a very good connecting piece defensively. I think he's just that connecting piece for us that like I expected to see it take a leap forward and two or one, two years down the road, we can talk like best player in the team, NBA hopeful. Like what does that look like for him? But right now it's glue guy. And I love that for him. When the team's at full strength and he's the seventh or eighth piece, that's a really good fucking seventh or eighth piece. That's a yeah. really good. And, yeah, yeah. and when you factor in that he'll have had a couple weeks, two, three weeks of starting lineup type role to bring that experience in, in the flow of the season, like that's, that's a real good eighth piece. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's depth. That's Absolutely. real talent depth. Um, for this team, yeah. but I like him um, in the starting role when when we when we need that. Um, and so I, I agree, glue guy is a great role for him. And I don't mean that as an insult at all. I mean that as very much like, hey, a guy, someone's got to be able to clean the board. Someone's got to be able to be a threat to shoot open jumper. Someone's got to win titles without glue guys. Yeah. Someone's got to seal the post, right? Like in addition to Dixon, right? Like, cause when Dixon goes out, if Njoku's not ready yet, and I'm just not sure, like I will see minutes from Njoku this year, but I don't know how much, like you're going to have to slide Slater into the five and Longino into the four. Um, and so you're going to have situations like that. And so what do you need from a guy that you need someone sturdy, stocky, like really plays with his head, um, and has the body type and presence to be able to do that. And Longino brings all of that. So couldn't agree more. Um, so let's have the, let's have the debate, I guess, that needs to be had until Justin Moore comes back. Justin Moore comes back. He's our starting point guard, right? Like who is the starting guard on this team? Right. Like, and let's just kind of lay out the candidates, right? You have Mark Armstrong, who much has been said about in the um, preseason and off season here about how well he's picked up the system, how well he's gelling with the team. Um, his athleticism is, is, you know, is, is leaps and bounds beyond, um, you know, anyone else in the team, et cetera, but is young. Um, and then you have a guy in Chris Archidiakono, um, who's been a longtime system guy um, who doesn't bring any of that athleticism or anything of that, but has been trusted in big moments in the past and has delivered at times and has, you know, had his struggles at times, uh, but has been, but has been a consistent presence on this team and understands what we do, which is as important to Villanova as it is any other program in the country. And then you have, um, and then you have a guy in Angelo Brizzi who spent a year on the bench, redshirted and, and got stronger, learned our system, et cetera, maybe a little bit better, lateral quickness and a guy like a Chris Archdiacono, but not the experience there. Could he be the guy who could, who, who could, who could come in? And he's also been hyped up in the off season. Um, looks like Colin Gillespie, uh, which is just ridiculous. And it's going to piss off a lot of people around the big East this year. Um, but could he be the guy who gets the keys to the Maserati, if you will, early on in the season? It's it's a debate, uh, and and I don't know if it's going to be the same each game in the first 
in the first handful until Justin Moore comes back. So I am curious to guys as to what you guys think here. I think we're, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm, oh, go ahead, maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid too much, but it's interesting. You, you, you said is as soon as Justin Moore comes back, he's the point guard. I don't know that that's going to be the case. And that's because I'm putting a lot of stock in Mark Armstrong. I referenced it earlier. I think I've got a hunch. Mark's going to start at the one, maybe not, maybe not quite start like, first possession ball in his hands but I think very quickly in that first game he's going to be the one who's going to be running the point I think he ends up starting for the bulk of the time while Justin's out I don't know we'll see if that I don't know we'll see if it continues I think it's very dependent on how Justin comes back how much load he can handle how the team is gelling at that point but my answer to the question is Mark Armstrong right now he's super quick we can, he's a little bit smaller, so we're going to put the ball in his hands, allowing us to have Caleb play off the ball like we were talking about earlier. Otherwise, I just don't, I don't know, the lineup seems a little bit weird to me if we have somebody else in there. I mean, Arch, I'm just not, I'm just not, not as bullish on, on Arch there. Yeah, there's a, a steadying presence, but I think there's enough of other steadying presences on the team that we can kind of roll the dice with somebody like Mark Armstrong and potentially get a little bit more upside because he's supposed to be super quick. So. If I'm the coach, I'm taking that little bit more upside, knowing that, look, if push comes to shove, I can kick the ball over to Caleb, get a little bit of a sound presence there. I've got Slater there. Ideally, there's a comfortable handle there, and I can still work through Dixon. So I take the chance there. And heck, as we talked about, we've got Longino on the floor too. He's a very competent ball handler as well. So my answer, Mark Armstrong all the way. And I think there's a chance he gets a starting spot after Justin comes back too. Long shot, but a chance. So a lot, of, a lot of takes there. Yeah, a lot of takes there. I, I I disagree. I'm on the team Brizzy, and I think it starts from the fit on the floor. Um, not that Mark doesn't fit, but I think Brizzy, in theory, obviously we haven't seen them shoot a legitimate shot. Either of them shoot a legitimate shot for Villanova. But Brizzy has come and touted as a three-point marksman. We saw that in the blue and white scrimmage, that he's able to walk across the timeline and pull. I think what makes sense is I feel like Brizzy fits really well in the idea of like, all right, Brizzy coming off or working with Caleb. They're both sharing the duties. Both of them are three-point marksmen. I feel like Brizzy stretches the floor a little bit better than Mark, theoretically. Mark also seems like he's a very strong three-point shooter. But realistically, what I think makes the most sense is Mark comes off the bench and is now that greyhound off the bench who's able to run and get after things. And it kind of gives you the two... It, it gives you two separate kind of feels uh, feel to the game. So you, you you have your you have your changeup, let's say, with Brizzy, who's kind of we have our more of our we're playing our five out, we're moving the ball a little bit more, you know, we're playing that typical Villanova basketball that you see. And that's not to say that Mark can't play that, but I think it'd be very interesting and it plays to Mark's strengths if you bring him off the bench and he's that six starter. And then it's all right, Mark, it's you, it's Jordan, it's. Maybe you throw out Trey Patterson or you throw out Nana, whoever it may be, and Slater's out there, and it's like, Mark, go run. And Mark does what Mark can do, and that allows him to have the ball in his hands a little bit more, where I feel like I feel like Mark needs the ball in his hands more than Brizzy, I think is kind of the short of it. And I feel like Brizzy will fit, play well um, off Caleb. So I'm team Brizzy. I think Brizzy's made a lot of strides. Um, I think he's gotten a little bit stronger. I don't know about – I've been talking about the post all day. I don't know if he's going to be the person to be in the post – uh, but he's gotten a little bit stronger. He's gotten really impressive. And more importantly, or the most important thing, 
he's going to make people think Colin never left. Um, it might not be this year that it happens. We'll get comments this year, but I'll be like, hey, I thought Colin left. But in a year and a half when Brizzy's, whether it's I'm, where I'm hoping a year and a half, it's Brizzy and Armstrong running the show. It's going to be like, where did Colin leave? <laughs> um What do I think it's going to be? I think it's going to be in game one with Salicade. I feel like it's going to be Archer Brizzy is going to get the starting lineup nod. Like, so if I'm predicting, I think it comes down to what do you value? Because to me, I value like the long term, the long range benefit to this team. And when I think about that as a fan, I don't have the benefit of watching practice. So when I think of it as a fan, I think of it as like, well, I want to watch Armstrong play. Like early on, I want him to get 30 minutes a game because I want to see what he can do. I'll take the good with the bad. I want to see him develop because in my mind, watching him play 30 minutes a game in November will pay significant dividends come February and March. Like final four level dividends potentially in February and March, right? Like, so I see that and I realize that I'm not watching the practices. So I don't have that thing to chew on in between games, but that's what I think because, because he's athletic, he's young, haven't seen him play in a Villanova uniform. He has highlight reels already because of his performances at hoops mania. Um, So like I see that and I'm just like, I want that guy to play. I want that guy to start. I want I want that. I want that athleticism presence in our lineup right away. Um, but I get that in the long range of a season and as a season moves on, you want a steadying presence early on as you're trying to set the tone for team games and all of that. Who do I think is going to start? I think I, I look I I come back and I'm like angling this from a couple different ways because like I could see a world in which Arch starts and like at the same time, like I'm like, no, I don't want, I don't want Chris Archidiacono to start. Um, so by that end, and I'm like, all right, well then Brizzy, that's fine. Because like I could see Brizzy being the guy who starts because of all the aforementioned reasons why it might be make sense for Arch to start over Armstrong, except Brizzy, I haven't seen play before. So I'm like, okay, well then him is, he's good. Um, we have depth at the guard position. Um, when more comes back, the fact that you have more Daniels, Rizzy, Armstrong, Arch, like holy shit, and Hausen, and and Hausen, um, like your depth at the guard position is significant. This might be the deepest team in that I can remember. Um, like of of, of people who literally might play games. Yeah. Right, like, yeah. and so, so like we could go nine, ten deep of people who are like good. So, so I, I'm strong. I'm toggling with this. I want to say by the time the PK eighty five happens, that Armstrong has already wielded like the starting lineup role. I do get the argument of it being like a guy like a Brizzy and have Armstrong in like the Dante DiVincenzo twenty eighteen role of like being the dog off the bench and like. Yep wreaking havoc and a guy who could go absolutely bananas and and you know pour in 30 off of athleticism and shooting so I, long story short if i'm making a prediction i think it's going to be brizzy game and i want it to be armstrong i think That's you're on the right <laughs> side of history here yeah. no. 
and if it's Armstrong, that's also great. Um, but then it's like, how long do we have Armstrong for if he's starting and he's that good already? Which that's just me being that's very, selfish. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's selfish. Let's put it this way: if Armstrong and Whitmore are going into the NBA draft because they're are projected to be top picks in the draft, then this season will have been very fruitful. It will be very fun. Yeah. Yes. Well, let, let, let's be let's be clear. I don't think anybody's predicting Mark Armstrong is going to leave for the draft. Like he's he's not a five star recruit. Like, I'm just saying he, he'll, he'll not not, the not predicting. <laughs> no, I I think that Armstrong is not going to get to the draft this year, but I do see it. I do see him as a two or three in Buck. Yeah, I definitely see him as a two or three year person. And yeah, I mean, love Chris Arch, but it's Arch's program, move the ball. He'll play six minutes a game and be serviceable. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I think we got our, I think we've kind of got this down. I think we've yeah. got it all figured out, That's right? Cool. No need to play games. Let's just fast forward to the NCAAs. <laughs> um, yeah, done. Right. Any other narratives now. that you guys want to discuss before we talk LaSalle and Temple? Well, we have a couple more players I think we got to hit, too. I mean, there's Hausen, and just like at a high level, I think yeah. we just talked about Hausen. Is he redshirting? Is he going to um, play? Who knows? I think he's going to play. I don't expect much, but three-point assassin. And then we have what happens with the Trey and Nana portions of it as well. Yeah. So, I, I, Nana thing keeps coming up for me. Yeah, because if he is capable of playing minutes, then all of a sudden Dixon's role can be that much more versatile. Yeah. Um, so like Dixon's progression is somewhat a little bit steeped in what Nana is able to do, right? Like if Nana's not able to play the five, then Dixon is the five, right? Like he can't play the four, right? Like he can't make that leap. So like Nana progressing to a level of of aptitude at the five role 10 minutes a game 10 minutes a game literally like could advance dixon's timeline for nba level next level by a year right like like like, so if he's got three years left in the program starting with this year like that could take it down to two because of you know just the fact that nana can show what he can do at the four position which the three four is where he'd be in the nba so so that's that's so key to what he needs to be able to show to do. So like that's an element of it, but also just the fact that if he's the four and we can play a guy like a Slater or a Whitmore at the three, then all of a sudden this team is like the, the amount of different looks that we can throw at our team is is unbelievable. Um, so there's a lot of versatility to unlock with this team. I I just there it's it's potential versatility, and we just need yeah. to see those those three or. Really, Dixon, not Dixon, Nana and Trey take yeah. steps forward, and that unlocks so much. I mean, Trey is versatility person, or like just like when I look at him, I'm like, you could play in theory two through five, and we haven't seen it yet. Hopefully, we're able to see more of him this year, and he starts to progress towards that. But Trey, I mean, Trey, Trey changes a lot if he's able to also help um, on the back end and kind of play that. Like, can he give us eight strong minutes a game? Look, if Hausen is not redshirted, or like we, the, the Villanova program is famous for never announcing if they're doing a redshirt, <laughs> and just a guy just doesn't happen to play all season, and then they don't never actually said that it was a redshirt. Um, but if Hausen is 
like I feel like Howlson has to be a redshirt, right? Like because because of just like the depth of the squad. Like you're yeah, going yeah. down. We're at like nine at like Chris Archie Diacono, right? And then we're talking Trey Patterson and um and Nana and Joku. And then it's like, okay, then Brandon Howlson's like 12, right? Like like you get to a point where you're like, holy shit, like where does it end? And so, and how is Kyle Neptune, new coach? going to get all these guys playing time. And by the way, I'm just going to give a hot take here. I think he's going to be better at that in general than Jay was. If for no other reason than Jay was maybe, and I hate to, you know, say this about him, but maybe the worst at it. So like, he was so terrible like, at it. Terrible. Yeah, horrible at it. So like Jay couldn't get That's guys so playing terrible. time deeper than like seven. So like you know seven and a half guys. I don't think I don't think Jake could like count to eight. He's just like ah oh, seven seven's all I got. It's that's all right. <laughs> yeah. So like, like I, I, Neptune has to be better at that just by sheer like chance, right? Like it's my probability sake. He has to yeah. be better. So the, the, that's going to matter. And then I think that the, when I think we get into the narrative conversation is what speed and what tempo does this team play at? Because the faster means that you could probably get more guys in because guys are going to be gassed more quickly. So if the team plays up-tempo, then I could see it easier to get like kind of a revolving door of players in and all of that. If the team plays slow-tempo, which we've been been accustomed to for every year in the J. Wright era in the last seven or eight, other than 2018, um, for obvious reasons, then I think it's going to be like a – I think it's going to be like an eight-deep rotation, nine max. Yeah, I lean us going faster. I mean, we we look about the last decade, and the only year that we went like absurdly quick, or I don't know, absurdly quick. We were it wasn't just, absurdly. We, it was just we, middle of the. It pack. was middle of the pack, and that was the year we had six NBA players on the team. Right. Um, I look at that, and I look at how this team is set up, and all those other teams had a veteran point guard who was handling the ball, who was going to make decisions in the half court. Not that Brizzy can't do it. Not that Armstrong won't be able to do it. Not that Daniels won't be able to do it. Not that Moore won't be able to do it when he's back. When he's back, but I feel like this team's going to play to their strengths more. That athleticism, if we're able to run. Once again, I don't think we're going to be Texas Southern seventy-eight possessions a game, like or average. You know, I think we're going to see us like be in the middle of the tempo conversation, maybe like low middle. I know Neptune's already come out and said we're gonna we're going to run when there's an opportunity. I think that's the best thing to do for the athleticism of this team. Frankly, like with Armstrong, with Slater, with Whitmore, um, with Patterson and Nana, wh- whoever's able to get on the floor. I think Brizzy's pretty athletic as well. Being able to out- get out there and run is going to help us get some easy baskets to as to where we got easier baskets this last year by like let's let colin make the decision like let's slow it down and let colin beat them mentally and then go go over a ball screen and then knock a three down because we uh we like drop we drowned on the clock and then there's like you know whatever drive kick all that fun stuff so i'm team we go a little bit faster um not absurd but we'll be definitely faster We've been like 350 in tempo. Like, so, like, so, like, by being a little bit faster, we could still be like 250. Yep. And, and play like worlds faster than we did last year. So, I tend to agree. I think we're going to be in that 200 to 250 zone of tempo where it's not, yeah, because the other thing too is when you don't have guys, known entities who are super efficient, right? Like, it's, 
and you and you play really slow, like you're really harming your ability to score points, right? So what I want to see this team do is speed up a little bit to create more possession so that we can make sure that we keep up offensively with everybody else. Okay. Anything else? Any other narratives? Any other we things? Still, that... We still gotta do a we still gotta do a game preview too. We do. Do we want to dive into that? Well. Let us dive, yeah. All right. We're gonna talk about a game. Holy shit, it's coming. Um games. LaSalle, the LaSalle Explorers play their games in Tom Gola Arena. Um, but we will not be playing there. We'll be playing at the pavilion. Um Fox Sports One um next Monday night. So the big news with LaSalle this offseason is they fired their head coach and hired Fran Dunphy, who is on his third Big Five program. That's amazing. That's amazing. Took UPenn to a tournament, um, to the tournament a couple times at least. Um, was was a great head coach at Temple. I think he won uh, 13 Ivy League titles. So there you go. at least 13 times. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Brian would know. <laughs> um, and was excellent at Temple and now seeks to turn around um, LaSalle after Ashley Howard, um, who we love, um, was was let go by by LaSalle. So LaSalle's a team projected to be really bottom of the barrel in a frankly decently strong A10 this year. Um, but they are, but again, a new coach. They have some transfers in the Drame brothers who, you know, came from St. Peter's um, and they returned some other talent. They lost some guys due to the new head coach situation there, but they have some talent there. There's, you know, it's, it's a team that's projected about midway through Ken Palm about like 180 um, in Ken Palm right now. So there's just, there's there, there, this is not expected to be a particularly strong, good team, but it's going to be competitive. Um, at the least is we're not playing like our weakest opponent of the season in our first game of the season, which we are kind of candidly used to as Villanova fans. So I'll pause there, but like, you know, we start with LaSalle. I expect to win, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I I definitely expect to win. I think they'll be, I mean, Dunphy's coaching, so they're going to be well coached. I think what we're going to see is, We'll kind of start off a little bit slow, um, as is tradition, um, and then we'll kind of figure things out. Um, Dunphy has been, or not even just Dunphy, I feel like they're going to be well coached, but it's going to be the first game of the year. There's going to be rust on their side as well. Um, I think where we'll, out, where we'll just be better than them is at the guard position. I think Caleb's going to create issues for um, Brickus and Brantley and... Yeah, so overall, I think LaSalle is going to be a, a interesting game where they're going to give us a lot of things to like chew on, and especially in the first half, and we'll figure it out, and we sh- should win um, pretty handily, um, especially just because they also have lost a lot, um, and what th- either through transfers or anything like that, and then you're also transferring in the Drama Brothers from St. Peter's, so barring them bringing St. Peter's magic, I feel like we know what we're going to get into. It's going to be a big five game obviously give respect to LaSalle because anything can happen, but being at home also, I feel a little bit more comfortable. That makes me feel better that it's at home. <laughs> um, yeah. I I would agree. I think first, even if the whole first half could just be a little bit messy just because it's first game, you guys playing together, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to, but we'll work it out. Not too concerned. Yeah. Cool. 
let's talk Temple. Temple's an interesting one. Um, so Temple, we play at. Boy, is it. What? I said, boy, is it. Yeah, we play at Temple on on Friday, uh, uh, November 11th. Um, at that point, we'll have had one game to chew on, uh, a little bit of kind of what is Villanova basketball under under Kyle Neff. It won't be a lot. It will be a little bit, a little appetizer. Um, and then we have to face Temple um, in another, again, big five matchup. And historically, the one that has given us the most trouble, um, uh, given that Temple has had a fairly competent program for most of even the Jay Wright era, Temple's been pretty competent. So, uh, so this is a game that is candidly away. It's Kyle Neptune's first away game. It's a lot of these guys first away environment. Like uh, Temple is projected right now at Kempom around 80 to 90. Um, this is a game that I, I could see a world in which gets away from us. I'm not saying it's going to be, um, but it is, it is, it could get away from us. We're 69% favorites, according to Ken Palm, about six point favorites. So it's not, it's not a walk in the park in our second game of the season. Yeah. I mean, six point favorites is like, okay, you shoot 35% from three instead of 40. And all of a sudden you're just in a game. Um, Temple, I think is really, really good. Um, they're bringing in a lot of um or they're bringing back a lot of good talent um and most important in the top of the scouting report is they're bringing back Khalif Battle. Battle missed a lot of last season uh with I think it was like maybe a foot injury there's just a bunch of different things but Khalif Battle is a all AAC level player um I think before he got injured he was averaging he was like slashing and averaging like 15 on like 50 literally like 50 40 80 He's there's an argument that he'll be the best player on the floor. Come um, the Temple game, uh, Khalif Battle is amazing. They have um, a really strong um, young guy in Zach Hicks, who's or anyone who's like a draft head is a person who's on draft radars. He's long. He's like six six. Can shoot the three. Good rebounder. Strong on defense. Temple, I think, has uh, like six or seven players who are above six five and like long and versatile and can all switch. Um, so they're going to be able to defend in theory versus us. We're, we're not going to be able to mismatch and exploit things because they're all long and versatile. Um, so it's going to be tough. I mean, Tem- Temple as a whole, their season well hang- hangs on Khalif battle, but in general, we're going to be going into the Leacor Center on the road. If there's any school in the big five that hates us the most, it's Temple. And there's going to be the whole Jay's not here to help you kind of situation. And I think it's going to be like vicious there. I, 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 we have the talent we're the more talented team, but talent doesn't always win out. We could be a little bit cold. We could, anything could happen. Um, I think Temple's a hell of a team and like sneaky, like could finish third in the American, um, if not a little bit better. So um, I, I'm not going out and projecting a loss because I'll never do that against Villanova. Um, actually, I will do that all oh, the we, time. We but, predict, we well, predict losses. I, I'm going to predict a loss for sure. Yeah, I was like, I was going to say that, but I was like, I do that all the time. <laughs> and yeah, we're going to lose. <laughs> yeah, look, Khalif Battle is going to give us a, a, like this could turn into a Khalif Battle show. Yep. Um, and we've been known to do that. We, I feel like we oscillate when we play like a team with a great player. It's like one of those things where it's either like that 
either we shut down that great player and it's like, haha, we are so good at defense that we found a way to shut down your best player. Or where that best player just absolutely fucking demolishes us. Yeah. So um, so I feel like this could be a Khalif battle show. And the question is, do they get enough help from everyone else on the court um to to have a to, to have a great uh to have a great game against us? Um you know they're gonna start they have a lot of experience on this team. There's sophomores and juniors late in teams, so it's and they're tall, as you said. So I, I don't know. Like at the Lee Accord Center, it feels like this could get lossy. Uh, but I'm not. I'm. I don't know. I need to hear Rob's take before I fully commit to a, a take on this. Yeah, I'm big on the narrative. You know, I'm big on the narrative versus the X's and O's. What we just outlined. Look, no J. You know, the crowd's going to be riled up. They they're they're going to be out for blood. It's going to be a way. But what I think is really interesting is is how that team is constructed, I think, could actually work pretty well against us. The fact that they have a star, they know who they're going to play going to play through. They have a relatively experienced team that knows how to play with one another. And they have a returning coach, too. So they've got a lot of pieces that are kind of checking off to say, yeah, they've already got Villanova as a bullseye here. And I think they'll they'll match up well enough there that they'll know what they're doing. And I think with the crowd help, the fact that this is early on, I'm predicting a Temple win for this one. Ooh. And it's but but it's it's not going to be one of these like oh Villanova like the world's on fire as we've discussed. It's going to be early season growing pains yada yada. But it's going to be a loss. Well, here's what's going to happen because just so we can predict this, like we predict a loss. Say this is not going to be the world's on fire. Then the loss actually happens because we watch the game, and then the world's going to be on fire. <laughs> so, like, like, Caleb Daniels forgot how to dribble. What are we going to do? That's exactly yeah. yeah, right. So, exactly. We did not play Villanova basketball in this game, and therefore this team is going nowhere in March. Right? <laughs> it's just like we've we've been there before. Right. And by the way, we're going to do it. We think we 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 know we're going to do it. We say that we're not going to do it, and yet we're still going to do it. Um, but neither here nor there. This feels like this early season feels like this. We're going to see some odd fucking results. So, like, I'm inclined to pick a Temple win here. I think I think we might lose this game, and then I think we might turn around and win at Michigan State the following week. Like the, the I, house on it. Yeah, like I could see that, right? Like so. It it feels weird. I don't want to go pick us one and one in in uh, Kyle Neptune's first season here, um, but I'm not convinced that I would pick with Jay either on this. Like I think this is just like a new team without Moore and Whitmore, and I could just see us just like not having it this game. Yeah. Um, so so I think it's I, I think I'm predicting a loss versus Temple here. That's what I think of that. And I think it works perfectly where. We have that loss. Two days later, we have Delaware State, and it's like, work out the kinks. And yep. if you struggle versus Delaware State, pack up the season. We're, it's not, but, <laughs> but this is that game to work out the kinks and then get ready for that Michigan State game. So, obviously, I'd love us to win, but I don't know. I really respect this Temple squad, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. That being said, beat Temple, go 2-0. Be Delaware State go three and zero, and all of a sudden you're like, we're having a season, boys. Like, let's yeah. let's go. Um, but I might buy my tickets to Houston. That's right. <laughs> all right. So we got we got we got two games down. I think we're pretty universally one and one this week, right? That's what we got. Yeah. So so here you go. You heard it here first from the full forty. 
you're taking a loss early in the season. It's going to feel a little bit weird. But it's going to be a good loss. We'll learn. We'll be better. All that fun stuff. Everyone knows this. But Yes, yes, yes. We're going to be on here lecturing you about how we love the John Calipari quote of you win or learn early in the season. You don't lose and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to give you all of those bullshit sayings that we like to say uh, because we have a sense that things ultimately tend to work out for Villanova. So that's what we're going to do. If that happens, if we do lose, Twitter.com will be on fire. Twitter.com. It'll be, it'll be. So that already is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just it's to be all... clear, Twitter's permanently on fire. It's and, constantly on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and recent events have lit a fucking match on top of the gasoline <laughs> poured on top of it already. So this is, this is just a fun world we live in here. And Villanova basketball is our escape. So here we are. Um, all right, guys. Any parting thoughts before we wrap this up? Good on my end. All yeah, right. No parting thoughts. Just all vibes. Right. We will be back after the Temple game to discuss the first week of Villanova basketball under coach Kyle Neptune and to discuss the week ahead um, when we play Delaware State and Michigan State. So we'll be back on the full 40. Um, might be a week and a half after you listen to this, but whatever, we'll be back after the Temple game. Um, rooting hard, go Cats, but we are predicting a one and one week next week. So it could be an interesting start to the Kyle Neptune tenure. That being said, um, stay tuned with us. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at the full 40. I think we're technically still on Facebook, that hellhole too. Um, and then we are also on all everywhere you can find a podcast like Spotify. Um, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, all the all the things you can you can find us on, and we usually do post it on YouTube as well um, because Brian happens to be working with us this time. So um, when he when he's there, we go on YouTube. When he's not there, we don't go on YouTube. But that's the uh, that's the key to the sauce. So all that being said, thank you everybody for listening, and as always, let's go Nova.